This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Hello, and welcome to Discovery. We're once again highlighting podcasts from Seneca Journalism students. And we start off today with Andrew Kitchen's heartwarming story about a brother and sisters who really understand the meaning of family. Allow me to introduce you to what may be one of Canada's youngest CEOs. My title is Ben and CEO. Ben is the founder of the business and she, and she also manages the Instagram account. That's the voice of Blaze, Zed's 12-year-old brother. I was hired Blaze because I was helping them a lot. So then they hired me, where I just kind of joined. (laughs) The third member in this powerhouse business is known as F. Um, I'm six turning seven tomorrow, and I do portraits. Together, the three young entrepreneurs have founded a greeting card business, Heroes of Hope. But the most remarkable thing about this business is not their ages. It's the reason why they're doing it in the first place. To raise money for a little sister. When did you find out your sister was sick? Well, um, she... A few months after she was born. Mm. She she was totally fine for about six months. Mm -hmm. Then during the summer, like, during the summer, her first summer, she got sick and had to stay in the hospital for six weeks. Bailey was diagnosed with a rare form of infantile spasms. It was a rare and life-limiting neurological disorder. And that's when Bailey's siblings got to work. Ed, um, she wanted to start like a lemonade stand or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we got, um, my mom said that you can't do a lemonade stand because of COVID. Mm. So, then we, so then she said, Maybe we could start a card business or a toy or something like that. So then we decided to do um, it's our card business. If we're using our time to do a business like this, we, we could do it for, to raise money for a little sister. They reached their first fundraising goal in no time. But that hasn't slowed them down. They've got higher aspirations and they're aiming to give back to others. So have you guys uh, reached your first goal? We reached our first goal, and we're we're kind of close to our second goal. Oh, yeah, yeah, our second goal is four thousand dollars to pay for intensive therapy and give ten uh, percent to Scarlet Foundation. How did it feel when you reached your first goal? It felt awesome. That we it felt great that we could be able to pay for one week of her intensive therapy with our first goal. Mm-hmm. It felt good. And how does Bailey react when she finds out about all the money that you guys have raised for her? <laughs> In her own words, this is exactly how she reacts when we say we made a lot, made enough money to pay for intensive therapy for her. <laughs> That's her happy cry. <laughs> and then we, we also that we can help more than just her little sister yeah we want to like donate to other organizations once it gets bigger and also donate um, money to to kids with special families who have kids with special needs to so that they can use the money for things they need like 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 therapy therapy and stuff 
Blaze, Zed, and F have drawn hundreds of cards to choose from with varied designs and pricing. For prints, if we have a printed card, we sell it for $2.50. And a regular card where we do it custom for you, who mm -hmm. you can write what you want it to yeah. say on and the front. And then you can choose what, what the design is. Yeah, um, that is $4. I do the pricing too. <laughs> and, and also, um, at the Christmas market, I sold 15 or 20 portraits. Some of the money being raised will go directly to Bailey purchasing a Trexo robotic device. Um, yeah, that, that is a Trexo walker. It's a robot, but inside that robot, it's, there's a walker. Mm -hmm. So then it like moves her legs, I think, and then it helps walk. So then you can like lower how much the, the robot is actually moving their legs and how much, how much like if it just doesn't move it at all. And the other thing is an eye gaze device, something that allows Bailey to communicate with her siblings through the movements of her eyes. Uh, what kind of things does she say to you guys when she uses the eye gaze device? It's so funny. <laughs> she says just random stuff. Sometimes she says random stuff, but sometimes, so we go into activities where it says like reading and playing and stuff. And then, and then, um, we ask her, what did you do at school? And then she answers actual things she did at school. Not only are these siblings making a tremendous difference for their sister, they're also having a lot of fun doing it and learning very valuable skills for the future. It's really fun to, to um, when we organize all the cards and get them all mailed to people, it's fun because we get to do it all together. So these are the cards, like these are the hand-drawn cards. Uh -huh. So these, you can see this is one of the ones we printed. Uh -huh. So we, so these are all the ones that we drew to get printed. So these wow. are all the different kinds of cards we have. And then there's there's all of these. I wow. drew the one with the bow. So we draw them on the weekends and after school. Well, basically whenever we have time. So mm -hmm. um, like this one I drew so that you could like write thank you here or happy birthday or something. What do you guys want to be when you grow up? Do you guys want to be artists? I I'm want not it. really sure because I want to be lots of things, but I don't know what I want. I want to be a psychologist when I grow up and then form my own business so that with a bunch of other doctors so we could go around the world helping people. Wow. Do you guys think that this is teaching you guys a lot of skills that's going to help you become that's, all those things? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I might become an artist. I don't know because I like drawing. Never know, this could go on and be your actual lifelong business. If you'd like to purchase cards, feel free to contact these remarkable children at heroes underscore of underscore hope underscore 17 on Instagram. Or you can find them on Facebook at heroes of hope 17. Um, we did made the title Heroes of Hope because our little sister's name is Hero Hope. And then, and then we wanted to say Heroes of Hope. For Say Radio News, I'm Andrew Kitchen. Next up, Maria Medeiros takes a look at Canadian jazz singer Mika Barnes. Did I hear you say you got hurts? Did you say that she's a flim flam flirts? 
Mika Barnes, Kinnitan crooner, has released the video for his track Welcome to the Club, part of his album Vegas Breeze. Deja's album was inspired by the 60s style. He followed it by listening to Onusha's songs in the showroom era. I didn't really quite realize that I was bringing songs from that sort of showroom era to the band. And then my bass player, Russ Boswell, who's played with everybody in the business, he turned to me and went, you know, you're bringing showroom songs from the vague, classic Vegas era. I was like, oh, I am. Okay. We're like putting together different arrangements, different approaches and figuring out like what supports my vocal the most and then what feels like it's going to make an exciting recording, you know? Everything that you hear on the recording would have been possible in 1964 or 1962. There's nothing modern on it. There's no synthesizers or drum beats or anything like that. You know, it's all real instruments and real singing. It was especially inspired by two songs with the same name, Welcome to the Club, by Nat King Cole and the one by Mel Thorne. Barnes described it as joining of a tradition bar stool ballad with a swinging Vegas showstopper. Vegas breeze, bring back sweet the road ahead's a mystery. Although he didn't realize he was doing this recreation, he is now glad that his bass player mentioned it. Vegas Breeze was released when the COVID-19 pandemic started. He had to perform a 14-day tour online. I'm gonna say it was exhausting. I'm not gonna lie, it was hard. We did a 14-city uh, tour right from my living room, and it it was weird. And then eventually, as we came in and out of lockdown, I would say I got a lot more used to the online performing. The last show they performed for the 14-day tour was in person in Toronto. After long months online, they saw each other at the Jazz Bistro. I remember my whole team. We all arrived, and we were like. Oh my God, I'm near, a, I'm near a human being, you know, and it, that was all in the first three months of the pandemic. Another song you can listen to in this album is When in Rome, video he shot in person for three days in Italy. I've never been to Rome, so... When we were like location scouting, I was like falling in love with the city, like falling in love with it. I was just so happy. He explained that for the plot of When in Rome, a sophisticated international playboy is cheating on his partner in Rome. But while doing it, he looks glamorous. And when shooting, he was capturing everyone's attention. Act that character for three days? Oh my God, it was so much fun. And baby, when in Rome, I do as the Romans do. He created the song as escape from the pandemic to the audience. He wanted them to feel as if they were traveling. Mika and his band are planning more tours, including a Vega show this June. Um, we're going to be touring behind the next album. For now, I'm doing some Ontario dates um, upcoming and uh, you can see them all on MikaBarnes.com. I'm get to sing with the big band um, up at the Rose Theater. I'm going to be singing Leonard Cohen songs in May at the Al Green Theater, which is a good looking forward to that. And I'm doing a Vegas show up in Theater Collingwood for the summer people in June. So. Right now, you can find Welcome to the Club on YouTube, iTunes, and other audio streaming platforms. I am Maria Medeiros for Sail Radio. Up next, 
Stephen Brown with the story of a specialist in the Canadian military who has another specialty that's very popular this time of year. Hello and welcome to a Say News podcast. My name is Stephen Brown and in today's episode, we're going to be speaking to Sergeant Thomas Clark, who is a 13-year veteran and vice member of the Canadian Armed Forces, but this story isn't necessarily about the Canadian military. It's more so about how a service member turned his passion for hockey and collecting hockey jerseys into a thriving customization business called First Line Jerseys. So Tom, we're here to talk today about the business that you started from the ground up, but that's not necessarily where this story starts because uh, customizing hockey jerseys is not your full-time job. So how does someone go from the Canadian Armed Forces to customizing hockey jerseys? Uh, that's a great question. I, I wouldn't say I've done a full transition yet because I still, uh, my, I do still have the full-time gig with, with the Canadian Armed Forces. But uh, I had a go-to customizer that I would send all of my jerseys to. I would send him a box of eight to 10 at a time and just sit back and chill for four or six months and get them back. And I would do that for a few years, um, but he decided to go in another direction. Um, so I was kind of left with, do I continue to send my jerseys to other customizers, which would be crippling with the amount of jerseys that I would send out at a time. Um, so I just kind of remember that we had this old uh, sewing machine in the basement. It's my wife's uh, grandmother's that she bought in 1952. Uh, and it was covered in dust in one of those built-in wooden tables. And I'm like, let's crack this thing open and see what it's got. So before we jump into talking about the business and customizing hockey jerseys, I have to ask you about your time with the Canadian Armed Forces. Do you have um, an experience that was your favorite so far? Uh, well, I just hit my 13-year mark uh, a couple weeks ago, um, so I've got a ton of experiences that I cherish, um, but the most fun I would say that I've had was uh, working with uh, VIP missions, flights, um, I did that for a few years, a uh, few years ago. Um, and that's just traveling on the aircrafts with like uh, the prime minister, uh, governor general, the royal family, uh, conducting their in-flight security. Um, and that would take me all around the world. So experiencing new cultures on, in different countries that I'd never been to, uh, seeing like monuments and, and you know, different cities, um, buildings, is is probably one of my highlights just uh being able to see the world uh, not too many people get that opportunity to do it um so i thank the military for for that experience so far for sure so between traveling all the, all over the world and being in charge of security um how do you find the time to sew names down to hockey jerseys and hmm. talk to people like me because we've done a lot of business together in the past where like how do you balance the two of those? Well, I don't travel around anymore. I haven't done that in a, in a couple of years, but uh, now I've got more of a, you know, stay at home desk job for the time being. So you go from traveling around the world, heading up security for the Canadian armed forces on certain trips to working more of a stable desk job. Now, um, what's the reaction from your family, your friends, your wife, when you say that you want to start a business customizing hockey jerseys, and to take on the community of collectors that comes with it? 
Uh, they were pretty surprised. You know, here's this guy that, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't talk a whole lot. If he's out at parties, like he's more closed off. He likes to listen and, and like people watch. And now, yeah, I, I'll tell my wife and she was like, who are we talking about? And I'm like, oh, Stephen, which one is that? He's, <laughs> he's the guy in Toronto that, you know, sends me all his Leafs jerseys or, you know, that I talk to about game worn jerseys. He's like, okay. And, and that's not this person because yeah, legit. I have, you know, since, since I've started this, like I have in my career, I have military contacts and friends that I'll have forever from all of my military experiences. And it's almost the same with, with this Jersey community that I had no idea existed until I started collecting jerseys. And it's almost a brotherhood in itself. So going back to the hockey Jersey business, what, kind of jerseys can you customize because i know myself i have a lot of stuff from the 80s the 90s the early 2000s and it's not always the easiest to find the correct materials or fonts to be able to customize those properly are there any that you maybe can't do um yeah you're you're not wrong there um the further back it goes the harder it gets um but with old jerseys you just have to be patient um a lot of the material either doesn't exist or is very hard to find. Um, but I specialize in, in Leafs jerseys because of my, uh, one of my sources, um, he specializes in Leafs uh, kits. So he has a very extensive game-worn Maple Leafs collection uh, and a, an extensive, um, you know, customized Leafs collection that he's used and, and built his kits and his designs using game-worn references. Um, so that's, I, that's why I specialize in, in Leafs jerseys. And also because I have contacts with, uh, the Leafs former, um, team customizer, um, and I can buy my kits directly from them. Um, other kits, I really, I'm not too, um, restricted. I don't think, um, you know, I use customized sports, which has been killing it with, uh, like the perforated and the sublimated kits lately. Um, it really, the only real restriction that exists with jerseys is nameplate material. Um, in order to make sure that a nameplate material matches the Jersey, a lot of times you have to cut up a Jersey. And if it's a rare Jersey, it's a shame to try to, to have to cut it up. So you have to find one that, you know, has a lot of wear or damage, um, and then sacrifice that Jersey to get the nameplates. Um, but then, you know, if, if you're not too picky, um, there's lots of substitutions out there that are, are as good. And you just have to remember that, you know, your Jersey is a replication of a game worn Jersey. It's not an exact game worn Jersey. Um, so sometimes if, if it's not possible to get exactly what the player wore in that year or that era or time period, um, you know, we have to make exceptions. So what makes first line Jersey customizations, because that's the name of the business different from other customizers who are out there. For example, if I'm working on a, a, a 2004 Matt Sundin um, alternate Leafs Jersey, once I receive the kit, I pull up a Matt Sundin 2004 game worn Jersey on my phone or on my computer. And I make sure that I'm placing it in the exact position as best I can um, to make sure that it replicates 
you know, that Jersey. If, if I can't find that player's specific game worn Jersey, maybe it doesn't exist. Then I'll choose another player's Jersey from that same year, which would have the same uh, specs uh, for placement and, and, and whatnot. And if, if I can even go a step further and find the, the stitching pattern, you know, is it a, a wide stitch or a narrow stitch um, to make it that much more close to what the player wore, then I do that. So from working with you, I know that sewing is not the only service that you offer. What are some other services that you do for your customers? I also love creating custom jerseys for people, um, especially with all of these uh, like made in Canada practice jerseys that are out there. Um, people are getting really creative with, you know, putting a, a different logo on a jersey with their favorite player, something unique that there will be the only person in the arena uh, wearing. So creating custom, custom jerseys is, a, is another thing that I offer too. Speaking of custom jerseys, I know that you created one for yourself. Uh, it's a military appreciation style that um, you've shown me a couple of times on different occasions. What does it mean to you and your background with the Canadian Armed Forces to be able to put something like that together? Uh, it means everything. I'm extremely proud of, uh, of my experience and my service to my country. Um, and it makes me feel very honored and appreciative when, when, you know, the NHL uh, and, and my favorite teams host uh, Canadian Air Forces Appreciation Nights, and they, they come up with custom and new designs every year uh, to keep it interesting. And they, you know, they'll always select a, and honor a CAF member. Um, so to be able to, to get a hold of one of those player, one of those player worn um, style jerseys a couple of years ago, and, and to be able to, to, you know, think of what I wanted and, and I stitched my, my rank on the number to make it even more unique uh, to me. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's really cool. So with the NHL season wrapping up and playoffs heading around the corner, maybe fans are looking to dust off their old Jersey or buy a new one. Um, how can someone send in a Jersey to make sure that it is done the right way with their favorite player uh, after listening to this interview, because you, you clearly do care about your customers and your work. Uh, how would someone send their jersey to you? Uh, jump on firstlinejerseys.ca. Um, I've got a, a price list on there to help you figure out, you know, what you're, what you're going to look at cost-wise. Uh, I have a, a frequently asked questions section uh, to put you at ease with any questions you may have. Uh, and then I've got a custom uh, customization submission form uh, which you can punch in all of the information that you want on your jersey player name if you want an a or a c if it's a specialty jersey uh, there's a box at the bottom of the form where you can type in any information that you want me to know about or any specific requests uh, and then that comes direct to me uh, you'll get an automatic reply um, you know informing you to maybe check your spam folder uh, or or to keep an eye out uh, for my response with shipping information. And it's as easy as that. Submit the custo form and drop the jerseys off uh, at Canada Post or, or UPS or who you ever want to send them with. So, Tom, I know myself, I got a giant box of jerseys ready to go and to send off to you. And I just wanted to say thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to sit down and talk to me and tell a little bit about your story and the start of your business. And finally, Jack Dion introduces us to a Toronto teacher by day who's a rock star by night. Welcome back to the Remarkable Persons podcast brought to you by Sane News. 
I'm your host, Jack Dion, and today we are going to be talking about the world of living a double life. Luckily for Sean Kelly, a member of the classic rock world and a teacher in the Toronto District School Board, his double life isn't a secret and is used to his advantage in the classroom. But first, let's hear from Sean himself about his background in professional music and teaching. I've been playing professionally since I was 16, and that was, I'm 49 now, so for 33 years. Um, and then I, I uh, went to university and I, I studied music. I, I took a few years off to tour, went to teacher's college in 99. I'm just thinking about it. I guess I started teaching in uh, 2000. So uh, from being a school teacher, uh, signing on with the TCDSB in 2000 till now, I guess we're looking at 22 years. Kelly has been in several bands, but his group Crash Kelly was a product of his teaching and allowed for the renaissance of his musical love, which is 70s and 80s hard rock. It was an opportunity that came at the right time for Kelly. At that point, I'd been through some bands that have had record deals. I had management opportunities, uh, had record deals and lost record deals. So I'd already had a taste of it. And I said, you know, uh, I have a, if I'm going to be a teacher, uh, I'm going to make some music that I want to make. I don't have to worry about trying to do something to attract the interest of a record company. I'm just going to make music purely for me because in the early 2000s, the 90s, uh, the music I love, which is 70s and 80s hard rock, wasn't the uh, flavor of the day. So I just made a started making music that, that I love. In terms of scheduling between teaching and the classic rock world, they rarely intersect and allow Kelly to focus solely on what's in front of him. If there was an intersection, it was an easy decision for Sean. The gig opportunities happen either on weekends or during the summer, so that works well with a teacher's schedule. I've, I've, my teaching career has at times been interrupted because I've taken leaves of absences, because I've, I've gone out and, and done full-time touring, and... Uh, as a result of those uh, experiences and, and those opportunities, I've been able to kind of parlay that into uh, a schedule that works for me on the per, on the performing side that works with my teaching schedule. Kelly uses his experience to influence his classroom when he can. Yeah, you know, well, where appropriate, I, I do. I, uh, I, I, I don't bring it up all the time, but if there's ever a moment that can be a teachable moment that involves something I've experienced, I'm happy to share it. And just, I think as a performing musician, musicians just share their experiences, whether it's verbal or through their performance. So definitely um, my performance experience informs my teaching practice. I've had an opportunity to play with some of the best drummers in the world, for example. So that's something I can impart onto my rhythm section. Um, if I had a chance to play with an amazing saxophone player, well, you know, I can kind of reference that. So they're, they're kind of the concrete musical examples I have in performance. And then sometimes it's, it's broader things like music afford me an opportunity to travel so I can speak to certain geographic locations. I can speak to certain venues, um, groups of people I've had the good fortune to meet. So it's kind of a holistic experiential approach, I guess, you know, and, and, and it comes up in, in varied ways. Even with the experiences Kelly has, he waits for the references from his students to chime in. Kids have the world's music catalog at their fingertips now with, with streaming. Um, sometimes they are the ones who bring up a reference and I can actually say, oh, 
I know that guy or I played with them because they have so much music at their fingertips uh, that they're experiencing it through TV, through video games, through uh, TikTok, through memes, you know, you name it. Uh, so these songs are becoming part of their culture. During the pandemic, Sean learned from his students the power of technology, their ability to use online platforms to make music together and share work of the power of music. Even with these technological advances, it is still not better than in-person work, according to Kelly. I still don't think it's ever going to be a replacement for getting in a room and making music, but it's just another tool. And it, it uh, I think it benefited them technologically to see what's uh, available to them as, as creators in 2022. While Kelly won't say he has the perfect schedule, he is grateful that he's been able to balance his work life and music together. That wraps it up for this episode of the Remarkable Person podcast brought to you by Say News. I'm Jack Dion. Tune in next week when we meet a resident of Cabbage Town that co-founded an ice rink to create memories for families with a little more intimate setting than public rinks. We leave you with a clip from Kelly's song Little Tango in E Minor from his 2011 album Where the Wood Meets the Wire. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back with more great podcasts from Seneca Journalism students next week. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.